This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chale. That's mintmobile.com slash chale. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chale. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
I would do segments on television with Dominic Cruz, and I would think, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. How did he become the world champion? I would sit there, and I would smile, and I would nod, and I would be polite because we're working together. I think, what a doofus. What's happening, guys? Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome, guys. It is UFC 295 Fight Week, and coming up on today's episode, I'm going to get into the New York card from multiple angles, one of which is, are we ever going to get John Jones and Stipe Miocic? Plus, I'm going to tell you why Saturday night represents one of the most pivotal moments of the year. Lots to get to, guys, including more on Francis Ngannou, but I want to begin with some breaking news, and also what we saw over the weekend. All right, guys, I guess you would say this is breaking news. I'm sitting down here at the studio, and while I'm here, Dana White announced some fights. For January, Strickland versus Duplessis. For February, Volkanovski versus Tuporia. For March... He announced it's going to be Cheeto Vera versus Sean O'Malley. Okay. Now, if I was to work in descending order with Sean O'Malley, Cheeto Vera, appropriate, correct, if I had any surprises, it would be that we're waiting all the way till March. Right match. No question. If I was to go to February and react to Poria Volkanovsky, right match. One versus two. And Volk, who did a favor by filling it on short notice to take on Makhlchev, had one request coming out of it, which is, please book me soon. Okay, great. That happened. His concerns were heard and recognized, and he's got a match. But if I was to back up one more to Strickland Duplessis, I would not have guessed that. Now, I don't argue that that's the wrong match. I love to see Duplessis, who in December of last year, in December of last year, was an undercard and spoke up. He had massive problems that he was on an undercard, particularly on a card that had Bo Nickel who was on a main card. And Duplessis saying, how many times has he done it? How many times have I done it? My fight is meaningful and difficult. His is a squash match. What are you doing? This was Duplessis, and he didn't have a very big audience. He had Twitter, and there was like 300 followers at the time. Not a lot of people were hearing this, but he was vocal. And by the time that night came around, he was on the main card. And don't think you have to tell me all the things that went into that. I know them. But that statement is true. He spoke up, and by the time that night came, he was on the main card. That's true. He then goes into, right? I mean, he was supposed to be an undercard that night. He got his way. The squeaky wheel got hurt. He got the grease on that one. But then he parlayed that into a number one contenders match, of which he was a three-to-one dog. None of us thought he was going to beat Whitaker. He ends up giving Robert Whitaker the unbeatable. He ends up giving Robert Whitaker the second worst ass whipping of his life. 
he gets recognized. He gets a title fight. I mean, the moment that fight was done, he's face-to-face with Adesanya, and they're setting the table for a future card. I love all those things about Duplessis, but to tell you that I was surprised by it, I was for two reasons. He was given Duplessis a title fight with Izzy. He turned it down. So when Sean Strickland steps in to do what Duplessis was unwilling to do, I would have predicted for you that Duplessis would not be next just on that factor. To give Duplessis an opportunity to win a championship, which is what this all was about, but to do it through a guy who got the belt off the guy you did not want to face, I would not have predicted for you that that would happen. And moreover, what happened to Chemayev? Where do we where do we go with all that? There could be an answer. Getting those answers is very difficult. Chumayev doesn't give us a lot. And there's a rule in politics. If somebody is saying something about you and it's not true, you must correct it. You must. Or there will be a perception that that is true. And perception becomes reality, right? A lie told enough times becomes a truth. And in spite of that fact and psychological reasoning, Chemayev still doesn't come out and correct it. He does not seem to care. He does not seem to care if what you think about him is true or not. does not seem to care if what you say about him is true or not. So it's very difficult to get information from Chemayev. Like, there might be a very reasonable answer, which is this January date was preserved and reserved for Chemayev versus Strickland, and Chemayev got hurt. Like, there was a rumor that he had a broken hand. Now, there's been pictures of Chamaya since the match, and none of those pictures contain a cast. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the broken hand rumor isn't true, just for example. And both fighters, Chamayev and Sean Strickland, knew the deal, which is whoever wins between Usman and Chamayev fights Strickland for the belt next. They knew the deal. And when the fight was done, Chemayev began talking about Strickland, and Strickland began talking about Chemayev. They knew the deal. Coach Nixick even came out with something very helpful towards that fight, which is to say the rumors that you've heard about the training sessions between Sean and Chemayev are false. Chemayev did not throw him around the room and control him and dominate him. That did not happen. Chemayev's never said it happened. Sean never said it happened. Nobody was there and witnessed this, said it happened. Nobody claims that that happened. I'm just here to clear up the reports that have come out are inaccurate. Well, that was really helpful. That was really interesting. And all signs were pointing in that direction. And then today we get the announcement that Duplessis, who had a fight, And his fight with Whitaker, it was told to all of us beforehand, would be the number one contender and would be in a title fight. And you must understand when you're told that, that there is other ways and other wording. There there is a caveat to all of that, which is when I tell the number one contender that they get a fight for the belt, just go out here, win this fight, you get a fight for the belt. 
what is meant with that colloquialism and that, that rhetoric in our industry is that you will be offered a chance to fight for the belt. That is specifically what that is meant to mean. Once I make you that offer, if that match doesn't come around, if you turn it down, by example, we are now square. I did my end of the bargain. And there's many people who come out and they're, they're a little newer, a little younger in the sport, or they, they don't really pay attention, right? They're sandhagens and don't know what's going on around them. They will say, hey, wait a minute. I was told I get a title fight. Where's my title fight? So just to clear up what that expression is to mean is that you will be offered it. Duplices was offered it. He turned it down. He is now not the guy, which is what opens the door for Kamara Usman and Chemayev to fight for number one contendership. And I have to assume that that vernacular was also applied here. I must assume that Chemayev was, in fact, as the victor, offered the Sean Strickland fight. And perhaps it's just the date that threw him off. Perhaps January just doesn't work. Perhaps he has a broken hand and just can't be healed, go through a camp and do the match then. Perhaps there's something to the other rumors that were told that Chemayev cannot get around. That he is locked to certain parts of the world of which the only one we service is Abu Dhabi and that he must fight there. Perhaps. One thing with Chemayev is we, we just don't get that kind of information. He just does not see it as a concern in his life if false things are put out about him. He's extremely unique. Most of these guys get sensitive. They're, they're little babies about it. That isn't true. Even if it doesn't matter, even if it doesn't affect anything, even if that headline is the only way they're going to get a headline, they will still come out on their social media and let you know, that is not true. How dare he say that about me? Chemayev appears to not give a damn, which I personally just think makes him even more interesting, in all fairness. But Duplissy versus Strickland is an awesome fight. I mean, that, that one will really make you stop and think. Duplissy did show one thing in the Whitaker fight above everything else. He showed us he's better than we thought he was. He showed us that his grappling, while maybe a little bit ugly, I mean, he, th he threw him in a headlock. <laughs> okay? He took Whitaker down in a headlock. Yoel Romero could not take Whitaker down in 10 rounds to try it. Duplessis took him down with a headlock. Like, even if it's even if it's ugly, he has an ability to make it work. And that match, I'll be very curious. I, I went to DraftKings. At the time that Dana made this announcement, now I went to DraftKings to see who the favorite was. They don't have it posted yet. So I think the whole world got caught off guard by this. But I will keep checking, and I will be curious. Because that really is a bit of an unexpected match. And how did we get here? And how once Chemayev wasn't able to do the match, did all of the other middleweights not offer to do it? When the rumors came out of the broken hand, by example, when the rumors came out of the travel restrictions, just by example, there is not a middleweight out there who offered to fight Strickland. And we have a lot of guys in this industry that don't understand what it takes. We have a lot of guys that will, will look at Duplessis and not understand 
that less than one year ago, 11 months to be exact, 11 months and nine days to be even more exact, he was going to be an undercard of a pay-per-view. In that time period, he's been feature matches of pay-per-view, been number one contender, and named as a headlining world title pay-per-view attraction. Duplessis did something here that should be observed, but he's re-found himself in an opportunity that we didn't know was even available, largely because of all the other middleweights who continually fumble the ball. We have no division like middleweight. We have all sorts of guys that don't know what it takes over here to get certain things done. They just don't know. They don't have good management. They don't have good strategy. They don't have anything. But we don't have more of those guys in any division as we do in the top 10 at middleweight right now. And what Duplessis did to get this opportunity should be observed, and then it should be copied. But it will be neither. The middleweight said, hear my words right now, don't even know what it means, and don't know how to do with their own careers with Duplessis in an extremely short period of time of 11 months and 9 days, has done with his. listen to Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill has started YouTube. I guess you call it a podcast, but like on YouTube, it's unbelievable. His breakdown and his assessments, what he sees, it's unbelievable. The best fight mind that I have ever been around is Dominic Cruz. And there's a meaningful gap. The next best fight mine I have ever been around is Kenny Florian. But Jamal Hill is definitely entering that conversation of the greats. Truly, it, it is, I was blown away. He gave an assessment of Saturday's card. And he was breaking down the entire main card and not only letting you know who won, it was and why. Here's the strategy invoked by the opponent And here's why that was a problem for the guy that got beat. I could not believe how he views the sport. Because I've never been convinced or really satisfied that the Jamal Hill story has been told. For Jamal Hill, who was a college basketball player, we've seen many walks of life, multiple guys, that had cups of coffee in the NFL, just for example, right? These great big, multiple guys that had meaningful careers in college on the gridiron. So now we understand. We understand strength, explosiveness. We understand contact. Things like this that would carry over. Things where we could reasonably believe, yes, that person would go on to be a cage fighter. But we've never seen, and this is one of the reasons that bothers me, we've never seen a scholarship college basketball player come over into MMA. And let me stop you right there. 
I didn't say go on to be champion. I didn't say go on to have like a 16 and one, something crazy as Jamal's record. I think that might even be at 16 and one. To have the intellect, right? We haven't seen people from that. And I feel that it should have been more credit. I feel that the basketball community should greatly be supporting him. I feel many people should be looking in that direction. Oh my goodness. When Jamal gave the belt up because he was hurt, the fact that he was playing a basketball game, you had all these people that were playing against him who weren't hurt and also who didn't understand basketball. The best and most decorated amongst them is the guy that ends up getting hurt. Like just for having a story, that's a very fascinating one. And he gave the belt up and he did it because he had the opportunity to win that belt because somebody else had given the belt up. So we wanted to pass it back. Those are three things that are very interesting that I don't like, haven't been part of Jamal's story and told at a higher level, but how did a basketball player make it? How did he make it in such a short period of time? What even motivated him to come from a sport where if you touch somebody, it's a foul. If you touch them enough times, you get enough fouls, they will eject you. And he goes from that environment to the most contact sport that's ever been created. Like, I just find it to be a fascinating thing. So then when I listened to his breakdowns, I even hit rewind. I said, what the, what? And I used to have that same experience when I would work with Dominic Cruz. I would do segments on television with Dominic Cruz, and I would think, man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. How did he become the world champion? I would sit there, and I would smile, and I would nod, and I would be polite because we're working together. I think, what a doofus. Then we'd go to commercial break, and we'd have about three minutes off. And during the commercial break, I'd be thinking, I'd be thinking, why did he say that? God, what a dumb thing to say. Why does Dominic believe this? How did Dominic become so good misunderstanding this sport so much? It would be on commercial break later, playing it through, repeating to myself, playing it through. Why would he say this? Listen to what he said, that I would then understand it. What Dominic was saying was so advanced, I didn't understand it at the moment. I needed to reflect on it later. And that happened to me multiple times working with Dominic. He was so good, I had to hear it again before I realized. And I was having that same experience with Jamal. I have never had that experience with anybody until I listened to Jamal. I had to rewind it. He was giving a breakdown as to what the problem was. He was giving a breakdown that the opponent that had success must have noticed on film put a strategy together and went out and implemented it into a game plan. And he would break it down from there. But I, I just couldn't believe how intelligent he was on a sport. And when you combine the idea that it's a shocking factor that he even did the sport in the first place. So he gets to the main event. And the main event was not aesthetically pleasing to watch. I have never loved the idea of doing five rounds in a main event just because you're the main event. You now have a different sport. Any sport that you can think of, you have a different sport if you mess with the time limits. The team that was going to win the Super Bowl, if just before the Super Bowl we announce it's three quarters, is going to change the odds and change who you believe is going to win. 
If we announce it's going to be six quarters, you, you have completely changed the game that you're out doing. But you could break that down into any sport you want. When you mess with the time, you just changed the breakdowns, the perceptions, and ultimately the outcomes. I just don't love that concept. So when somebody does say that Almeida taking Derek Lewis down, rich and repeat, holding him there, advancing position, not doing a lot with it in terms of gaining towards finishing the match. Those things are really true, but those things also need to be true. If you're not fully confident that you're going to succeed with finishing that match, you must, as an athlete, defer to preserving energy so that you don't run out of it and all of a sudden the other guy comes from behind and gets the better of you. If you ever try to win by knockout, you will not win a decision. It's important that you understand that. Because when I look at the Almeida and Derek Lewis fight, I had a few different takeaways. There are not a lot of men that have ever been able to take Derek Lewis down essentially at will. And at will, I will define as when they go for a takedown, they get it. There doesn't ensue a scramble. You don't go for a takedown. A scramble is cruise. You're on your feet. You're back to trade. You're back to seeing an opening. You go for another takedown. You switch from one to two. You push them in the fence. You got your under. You pull them off. You go to a body lock. You hit a trip. And now you've got him down. That's a very different scenario than what Almeida was doing, which is when I go for my takedown, by the time this exchange is done, I will have the takedown. Every single time, it was just interesting. I think that Almeida really showed he is a legitimate player in the heavyweight division. And he was not somebody prior to this fight who you would have quite put into that category, which somewhat has isolated itself to Surreal, to Tom, to Pavlovich. It looks like, no, there's other guys. There's other guys that need to be considered. There's other guys with an opportunity to break into that upper echelon. And I don't know that I love the concept that Almeida, who went out there and was dominant over a beast, a beast. Derek Lewis has beaten Francis Ngannou, to put that in perspective for you. I don't know that I love the idea of knocking or perhaps taking an opportunity in the future away from Almeida because you deemed him to be boring. I don't know how or why we're doing five rounds in a main event. I just, I don't know. And you could go back over history and you could find some five rounders that were amazing. You will be able to come forward with the Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler fights. And there's many more you still have a different sport. You're still doing something else. You're still now playing a marathon mindset of conditioning where an athlete must extend. He's going to leave that ring completely exhausted either way, whether it's in 50 minutes or 25 minutes. If he's going to throw 300 punches, for example, he's still going to throw 300 punches. He will just do it 
in the 15 minutes as opposed to stretching those out to the 25 minutes. So you inherently are asking for, and you should expect a more dull match. I just think there's a real conversation there as to how and why. And I think Almeida did some really incredible things. And I think that the breakdown that Jamal gave to that entire card really helped me to understand his intelligence for sport, for what he's looking at. His understanding of Billy is almost that of a natural. But that helps to answer the question as to how a scholarship basketball player went over to MMA and became the world champion. calendars because November 11th is going to be huge. Yuri Prohaska versus Alex Piera. They're going to face off during the UFC 295 pay-per-view, but only one fighter will leave with the belt. Secure your victory with unbeatable offers by going to DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers, strike now to get $200 instantly in bonus bets. When you bet $5. Alex Vieira is the favorite in this fight. Now, I got to tell you, that comes as a slight surprise to me, considering he's only fought in this weight class one time. Now, DraftKings has him as a slight favorite. We're talking about a minus 105, and you got Yuri Prohasco, former champion who never lost a belt, at least not from a competitive standpoint. He's coming in at a plus 125. For broad strokes, that's about as close to even money as you're going to see in a fight of this magnitude. But I do think those are very good odds. I wanted to bring them to your attention in case you also find that to be a surprise. Guys, get in on the UFC 295 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Download the app right now. Use the promo code CHAIL. New customers, you can get $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's code CHAIL only at DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY to number 467 369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash MMA terms and eligibility and deposit restrictions. Terms for responsible gaming resources. UFC 295 is such a pivotal event. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan. I started in the sport as a fan. I am currently a fan. My time in the sport will end. I'll be a fan. If I'm to be fair with you guys, I think that you 
felt the same emotion that I did, which is some real ups and then some real downs. Like just by example, if you were to look at this card, what we've now got is a main event, your return of Yuri Prohaska taking on, making his second uh, walk ever at 205 pounds, Alex Piera. Or if you're able to look at the co-main event, which is the heavyweights, Aspinall, Pavlich, I think that you felt a disappointment. And there's a great irony in that, right? It really does prove to us what we already know to be true, but it just enforces that thought of how important the matchups are. That MMA within itself, a cage fight within itself, at one time was enough. The spectacle of turning your television on and seeing two basically naked individuals fighting under essentially the most free format rule system inside of a cage. Like there was a time when that was enough and we've been spoiled, right? The time that I'm speaking of where that cage was enough is when there was six events a year. Six events went to 11 events, which went to 22 events, which went to 36 events, which went to 46 events. And I'm, I'm just sharing, when we got inundated that, we needed more. And when I talk about how important the matchups are, we really did want Sergey Pavlich involved. Now, whether that was Sergey was going to go in there against Stipe or that was Sergey's going to go in there against John Jones. The idea that the backup, who was Sergey, is going to get put in. The seemingly new and most recent and relevant era could go in there with yesterday's heroes was very compelling. And we still kept Sergey. We wanted Sergey so bad. We got Sergey. But we lost Jones and we lost Deep Bay as opponents. When I talk about this car being so important and so pivotal, which it most certainly is, what I'm referring to, the definition that I'm assigning to that phrase, pivotal. When we look back 2024, at some point in 2024, we will be having massive fights involving these guys. Whether that's Tom, whether that's Sergi, whether that's Alex, whether that's Yuri. And when those massive fights finally land, if we're to trace the history back to how did this fight right now here in 2024 become so big, that's when we're going to look at UFC 295 and realize how important this is. Though they're not the most clamoring and the most sought after and the most headline worthy, the ones that you were just salivating over the repercussions will be. If we take a look at Yuri, you know, it's an interesting thing. Very random thought. But for whatever reason within my mind, I whenever I hear about the 205 pounds, I ha- go back to this thought. I got a tour of Boston from Steve Thompson. Steve Thompson is just one of the most wonderful men that, that, that I've had a pleasure of meeting in my time in the sport, but he's built a life for himself and his family in Chicago. He knows Chicago inside and out. So when he gives me a personal tour, I learned a lot. But the day that I was there, 
he pulled me past the courthouse. And that courthouse is where the day prior, Rod Blagovich, how do you say Boglovich? Rod, the, the governor, had been sentenced to prison. And one of the reasons that that was so interesting is the previous two governors were in the prison where Rod got set. The three consecutive governors from the state of Illinois were all in the same federal prison together. And that really is a very wild concept. And to be right outside the courthouse where that piece of history went down was interesting to me. And it's just something that I remember. I always tie that in when I think about the light heavyweight division right now because the last three champions all walked away from the belt. So it, it is really a very fascinating concept for me. John Jones, champion, walks away from the belt. Yuri Prohaska, a dominant champion. I mean, this guy, Prohaska, was on a roll. Walks away from the belt. Jamal Hill, our most current champion, hurts his, I believe, ankle doing a scrimmage basketball game just for fun during fight week. Gives up and walks away from the belt. So we have a real opportunity for everybody else. Like we've seen times where there's been an asterisk next to a champion. It's very unfair. But Daniel Cormier would be one of those guys where he was champion, but at the time he was champion, a guy who had already beaten him, John Jones, was out. Because John was out, though Daniel never got that one back, he was the champion. I don't suggest that's fair to Daniel. I'm giving you an example of a champion that had one asterisk. Whoever is the champion now would have three asterisks next to their name. And it would it's just an interesting concept. And then you have the immersion of Alex Piera, who has an amateur record. I got asked over the weekend by a massive production company, sure you can figure out who, for end-of-the-year awards, who I currently have as Fighter of the Year. And the way the question was asked to me, hey, you know, if Leon is to win, if Bobby Green is to win his next one, lots of things to be considered, but who do you have as Fighter of the Year? And the question threw me off because of the suggestion that Leon with a win or Bobby Green with a win, that it would be one of those two. The current leader for fight of the year, it's very clear, is Islam Makhlchev. No other fighter this year has taken out somebody to that degree, and Islam only got two fights this year, but it was the same guy. Volkanovsky, the undefeated, the unbeaten, the reigning world champion. While Islam slid past one, he then took on Volkanovsky, who had had another title defense and was the reigning, sitting world champion, and it didn't get out of the first three minutes. So the clear leader right now is Islam. However, if Alex Piera wins, and this was the answer that I gave, if Alex Piera wins, he will, within this calendar year, which is the specific dates of the question, have been the 185-pound champion and the 205-pound champion in the same calendar year and therefore makes him 
fighter of the year per my vote. So I bring that to you because Pierre has an amateur record. Pierre's total MMA record is that of an amateur. I don't believe he has 10 wins. I would have to look. I, do, I don't believe that he's had 10 fights. I know that I'm very close. I know he's right there, even if it turns out it's 11 or 12. I know that we're I'm close, and that's still the a, uh, record of an amateur, and that's the guy that I currently have positioned to be fighter of the year. And then just how good is Yuri Prohaska? Because he never got his credit. He was not a pay-per-view draw. He has never been a pay-per-view draw, but there's a lot more to his story now, and I think that that's going to turn. I think the fact that you have, I mean, this is as close to a super fight as you get. You get, for the belt, the 205-pound champion who never lost that belt due to losing a match against the 85-pound world champion, and even if that's former... You're now going to combine them in weight classes. It's as close to a super fight as you get. And it's going to be very meaningful where they each go from here. Particularly knowing that Jamal Hill is a pay-per-view draw. He is somebody that people want to see fight. He is the most recent world champion to do this very thing, which is to leave the belt for somebody else to have an opportunity. Knowing that he's down the pipe for the winner of this contest, it's a very pivotal match. And whoever walks away is the interim champion for the heavyweights. It's a massively interesting position. I'm very light on the idea that Stipe and John Jones fight. I'm very light on that. They have missed four opportunities now in total. And imagining they're going to do it 10 months from now, which will mean that John has had one fight in four years and Stipe has had one fight in three years at that time. I'm very light on that notion. And which one of them comes off or can't make it happen and which one does go out there and then has the winner of Pavlich and Tom, it's going to be a big moment. It's going to be a special moment. And there aren't very many scenarios where Aspinall versus Stipe or Sergi versus Stipe works or Jones versus Tom or Jones versus Sergi works. There aren't very many moments like that, but there will be when this is done. When all the posters and all the headlines come out and one of those two young studs has got the gold belt over their shoulder, the, the imaging and the marketing and the what's to come and the who is the real champion. The interim champion who can go out there and be busy and defend it right now. Or the undisputed champion who can't walk out there and do it right now, right? The belt is to represent who is the best in the world right now. That is specifically what it is supposed to mean. To have an interim champion who is willing and able to go out right now versus, and he's got the lower belt, the undisputed champion has the, the, the higher belt, but openly can't go out and defend it right now. I just think you have a very different story. And I think those stories won't work without 295. Which is why I maintain this is the most pivotal event of the year.
comfortable with telling you guys that Stipe versus Jones is going to happen when Jones heals up and Jones is going to heal up in roughly 8 to 10 months. And when it happens, it will be for the Undisputed title. I'm just not comfortable telling you that. There's some fights that just don't happen. Khabib, Tony might be the greatest example. Five times it was booked. Not just wanted, not just talked about booked. Five times it was signed. And as that is the great example, but that and the other ones that just couldn't come together had a few of the same ingredients. And those ingredients are what's at play with Stipe and Jones. So, it's a guess. I don't have evidence. And to prove that I'm right is going to take me 8 to 10 months. I don't want to be right. I personally want to see that match. But to do that match for the undisputed title while we have an interim champion, there's never been rules or protocols set forth for what it takes to be stripped, to have to give a belt back, or for what the interim championship means. There's never been a specific box. So when you have a situation where you don't have policies in place, you defer to, right? Like if you were to go into a court of law, you would defer to precedence that has been set. And precedence that has been set for an interim championship of which has no stated protocols. Is that the interim champion is the number one contender? That is one thing that has always been. But for the first time ever, that's not what it is to be now. We have Jones and Stipe being preserved to compete at a later date. We're going to have an interim champion this weekend. So what does that look like? Does the interim champion go and sit front row while this fight happens? Is that what happens? Okay, great. And can we expect him to then fight the winner of this? Because if we expect him to then fight the winner, why are we having the match? Why don't we have him in there right now? And if he's in the front row and he's watching, hoping that he gets called upon... So he can go in there, have an organic face-off, do an organic interview, and start the promotion for what's next. If Jones and or Stipe retire after that fight, as they've both said they're going to do, I do not believe that in the least for Jones. I do believe it for Stipe. But Jones is saying that that's what he'll do. So if we have to take him at his word, the interim champion sits there, and as soon as the words from the winner of Jones-Tipe come into the microphone, the moment the words are spoken to the microphone, I'm retired. That interim title just became the undisputed title. And the previous undisputed title that is now around the waist of the person making that claim just became a trophy. And... It seems very odd 
if that interim title is going to be elevated to undisputed title based on the news that we currently have given, why are we calling it an interim title? If we have every reason to believe that that's going to become the undisputed title, because regardless of what happens between Stipe and Jones, they're both retiring that night. Why don't we just call this the undisputed title? Jones and Stipe have failed four times. Now, that wasn't four signed bout agreements. But there was four times this fight was tried to be made by one side, which is either the office or another side, which was with the athletes, four times, and it missed. It's very difficult to believe that in eight or ten months, which will mean that John Jones has had one fight in four years, one fight in a four-year period, of which I don't believe he was ever punched, and I don't believe he ever landed a punch. You go back and watch that, but that's I, I don't remember it. And even if they're right, little it's it's a very interesting thing. And Stipe at that point will have had one fight in three years. And by the way, was carried out. It's it just seems like a really tough sell to believe that we found the best two guys for the undisputed title. The best two guys for the undisputed title, you, you've got one corner that's had one fight in four years at the time that match goes off, and you have another corner that's had one fight in three years, oh, by the way, came up with the silver medal. I'm just not comfortable in telling you that cooler heads aren't going to prevail. The deep breath is going to be taken. We're going to look around and go, no, we can't, we can't do this. This doesn't make sense to do. We are taking advantage of an audience by thinking we can convince them. I mean, you, you have collectively a one-in-one record in seven years. If you, if you were to combine that, one of them's got a win, one of them's got a loss, it's seven years, four, four off for one, three off for another. That's tough for me. I don't, I don't believe that that, I'm not confident in telling you that that match is going to happen. And I want it to. I'm not against it. It's a gut feeling, nothing more. But it does become very reminiscent of the other fights that we tried for and missed and simply never got together. And a massive difference in those other fights is you had an audience clamoring for it, wanting it dearly. That can't be debated anymore. They were announced. They were on the top of the bill. The Mecca. Everything huge you could think of. Ticket sales. Not great. It's not really a guess. But I will make a statement for you that I personally am not comfortable telling you, just wait, just be patient. You'll get Jones versus Stipe. I don't believe that's true. (laughs) 
Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep and honestly that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com and use the promo code CHAIL. conversation with Errol Helwani earlier in the week and the conversation had to do with what it is that we witnessed and what is it that we learned for Francis and Fury. Now that event in what you're going to study and take away right and if you're a fan and you're just looking for entertainment nothing. The answer is nothing. I'm taking nothing from it. But Errol and I that are within the space, that are going to break these things down, bring them to you, for better, for worse, to make comparisons, to analyze, to make predictions or suggestions to the future, there's only two ways to look at this event. Competitiveness. And the expectation for competitiveness greatly exceeded expectations and is something to be celebrated and turned into a very fascinating situation. The only other thing to look at and observe is the financial side, which met expectations. It was projected from Jump Street to be a significant financial loss. The deal from the jump was, I will lose X amount. Very fair estimate when you're looking at all the guests that were brought in is $100 million. That's a little bit high, but it's a very fair estimate. In exchange for a spectacle, But what I'm buying here is showing all of you that I know and see something none of you do. I am willing to pay a hundred million just to show you that Francis can compete with Fury, which is what I believe and it's what you don't believe. But there's no other way to look at it. And those are the only two things. So, 
I was sharing with Ariel what a disaster the pay-per-view was because we're looking at this as something that is either sustainable or it's not sustainable. And Ariel maintained, no, 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 it's an, it's endless money, so it, that topic isn't relevant. Th- that was his opinion. Saying, man, I, I just don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Nothing has ever worked that way, right? I mean, think of a balloon. You got a balloon. It doesn't matter how big that balloon is, but you have a balloon. And every X amount of time, you're going to let some oxygen out. You're going to let some air out. Every X amount of time. That's every month, if that's twice a year, if that's once a decade. Doesn't make a bit of difference. But it's only going to go this way. Of course, eventually, it will be out of air. That might be 200 years from now and long after your lifetime. It doesn't change the fact that eventually it will be gone. And if eventually it will be gone, if we just stick to the model that we're doing, it's what's called not sustainable. Now, I don't feel that I should have had to explain that to anybody. But it would appear that I do. And Ariel was very annoyed that I kept saying that. And I was very annoyed that he would question that. Because that isn't a laugh in the face of the gentleman who put this on. Which generally it would be. If somebody's got a business, they got an idea, and it doesn't work. Generally it would bring embarrassment. No, it did it over here because that was the expectation. He was fully aware. So when Arrow was attempting to argue that this wasn't a lot, I didn't understand why he was doing it. I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. It didn't bomb. It didn't decline. It met expectations. So even if you're in defense of somebody, that somebody's not being put down, that somebody's not being attacked, that somebody was right. They were right that that match, there's only two ways to look at it. They were right that that match was more competitive. And only they believed it. They were right. They got it right. And their financial loss, which was expected, they also had it right. So there wasn't a need to defend that side of it. And either way, in defense or in support, you still have reality. And it's so important that we do observe it from these sides if you're attempting to make predictions into the future. Michael Bisping came out, and he reported, and Michael Bisping is not Mr. Breaking News, but if he gets this one right, he will have broken news. Michael Bisping says that Francis Ngannou is going to fight on December 23rd, back in the same location, where that is very difficult to predict because you're in a unique situation we've never seen where sustainability is not an element within the decision-making, all of a sudden your guesses become very hard. Look, there's one match for Francis and Gunn. Now, the landscape changes quickly. It changes quickly. We are about to have a new heavyweight champion in a week. So it changes quickly. But right here and right now, there is one fight for Francis that works, which is John Jones. Okay. In boxing, 
there are three fights for Francis that have an opportunity to work. Now, you still got to control your numbers, right? But you, you would have a reasonable opportunity with Joshua, with Fury, and with Wilder. So if Michael Bisping is right that Francis is fighting on December 23rd, that would be so wildly interesting for a number of reasons, starting with who is the promoter. I mean, you'd have to start right there because December 23rd is the contractually and legally binding date of Fury and Usyk, and the promoter said, I'm not doing it. I am not doing it. Fury was in a harder fight, and Fury's going to need more time. So it would just be an amazing thing how Francis isn't also in that same spot. If, if Fury did more to Francis than Francis did to Fury, which is what the outcome and result dictates and indicates, be very interesting to me who was putting Francis in that spot. And moreover, who would the opponent be? We could remove Fury. He's got Usyk and is kicked on down the road. Joshua could do it, but it's a month away, and that's just not the way he works. Joshua is geez, just not that guy and never has been. And then you have Wilder, who's a free agent. Looks great, needs money. Very reasonable. But when you start to understand that being reasonable and bringing something that that's not the objective here and that's not a criteria for the decision making, and all of a sudden you start to understand it could be Francis against anybody. So now you ask yourself, would that work? Could it be Francis against anybody? I mean, you know, I'll just throw out, could it be a Ruiz? Could it be a... Uh, uh, white, could it be, could it just be anybody? I just named two guys within the top 10, but could it just be anybody and we would tune in and watch him? Well, if we were to put him in MMA right now, that's what we'd be forced to do. We would be forced, due to the options available, to just put him in with anybody. Oh, it's an interesting spot. And Bisping has never broken news. So, and I read it, right? I read it. I didn't hear him say it. So is there some rumor I got it wrong? Was he just making a guess? Was he saying, well, this is what I'm hearing? It was within the same article, Bisping did say that Francis is 1-0, which could have been a typo. He's 0-1. I don't know. I don't know what part of it is accurate, but I do know it's very difficult to make these predictions when you're playing a game that's never been played before. There has never been a situation within combat that was embraced and given an opportunity where profit exceeding expenditures, viability or sustainability for the future was not a criteria. So let's see what happens. And if Francis is able to turn around by December 23rd, I would predict for you that it's with Wilder. But while a promoter said Fury's fight was too hard, and while a promoter said Fury wouldn't be ready, I never heard Fury say that. And a true competitor would not want to wait.
A true competitor would want it instantly. A true competitor, this would be eating away at them. It would be affecting them mentally. It would be driving them insane, and they are not going to wait. They're not going to deal with Usyk and find you again later or just hope to outrun the whole thing. They're going to want the match right away to fix this, to flip it as they see it. I'm not ready to count out Fury versus Ngano. I don't believe that promoter. There's no reason we should ever believe the promoter that had a written contract with two guys and then openly and unilaterally says he's not going to honor. There's no reason to trust that man. So I think there is a very good viability. If the story by Bisping is true, I think there's a viability and a possibility that it could be Tyson Fury. Let's see what happens. And I just do hope, I hope this being right, and I hope Francis comes back in what's going to be just over a month. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I am leaving for New York City soon, and I can't wait to get there to cover the fights for ESPN and to let you guys have the privilege of seeing Uncle Chael on that big old TV. I'm going to be back on Friday. But until then, everybody, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. <laughs>